Before we begin, I have a very special and important announcement, and I want you to listen carefully. Our organization, Torch, is a nonprofit, meaning that the only way we can pay for our expenses, the only way we could support our team of five rabbis and rebbitsons, our support staff, pay rent, and do all the wonderful work of Torch and all the amazing podcasts, the only way we could do that is via the generosity of our friends and our supporters. That's the only way we can pay for our expenses. And our organization has a philosophy that we don't try to fundraise every day of the year. We try to compress a year's worth of fundraising into one week. In one week, we try to raise the bulk of our operating expenses, and that week is right now. You appreciate our work. You enjoy our podcasts. You find our offerings to be interesting and educational and valuable and compelling. We need your support to keep it going. So today... I'm asking you for your friendship and support and generosity and asking you to visit givetorch.org and make a donation to our organization. The link is in the description, givetorch.org. And to sweeten the deal, every donation will be tripled. A $100 donation will equal $300 for Torch. A $1,000 donation will equal a $3,000 donation to Torch. So give what you can give and amplify your donation and help make the campaign a success. If everyone who is listening right now gives what they can give, the campaign will be a success and Torch will be bright for another year. Without your support, I wouldn't be making podcasts. Torch would fold. I'd be selling mortgages or cabinets or work in healthcare or I don't know, become a lawyer. But thanks to our supporters... Torch is teaching and spreading Torah and Jewish wisdom and the rich Jewish heritage on a never-before-seen scale. Just via the podcast in 2020, we merited to do 162 new episodes, almost a half a million downloads, perennially listed on the top charts of the category of Judaism on iTunes. And I want to stress, that accomplishment is not mine. It's not even the accomplishment of the great team at Torch. That is the handiwork of all of you who supported our organization, us together. We accomplished that goal. In our eyes here at Torch, our donors are really our investors. Whatever merit we get from the unprecedented amount of Torah that we spread, it's divided between us, the team at Torch, and the donors slash investors who support our work. So please pause this podcast and visit GiveTorch.org and give what you can give to support Torch and to support the podcasts. This is an online fundraiser. It's a matching fundraiser. Every donation will be tripled. There's a link in the description of this podcast. So I'm asking you to please pause the podcast and visit GiveTorch.org and support Torch and support the podcasts. Now, I know from previous years that some of the listeners will say, you know what, Rabbi, you convinced me. And they're going to come out of the woodwork and support the campaign when I make the annual appeal. They're going to pause the episode, go to givetorch.org, and give what they can give. But many of y'all are not going to be convinced. And they're going to say, oh no, the rabbi's doing his annual promo. He's doing his annual appeal. When will I finally get to the actual content of the episode that I want to listen to? And they're going to skip 30 seconds ahead. Oh, he's still doing it. Skip another 30 seconds ahead. Oh, when is this going to end? So every year, I try to persuade 
even the skeptics that supporting Torch is a very worthy cause. And how am I going to persuade you this year? Well, this year I'm doing something unprecedented and probably something a bit foolish. I may very well regret this. This may be a terrible idea, but let's give it a shot. If you need help being convinced to support Torch at dftorch.org, pull out your phone, go to your contacts, type in the name Yaakov Wolby, that's me, the email address you already know, rabbiwolby.com, and you put in the phone number 713-301-3611, and then you go to your messaging app, and you send me a text with the words, I need to be persuaded. And I will call you up and I will personally persuade you to support Torch at givetorch.org. This is very important to me. I really would love to have 100% participation of the podcast audience. I view the podcast audience as a big distributed family and I want everyone on board to support this campaign. If you've never given to Torch, this is a fantastic time to do it. Give what you can give. If you already are part of our donor slash investor class, push yourself to give a little more. You will not regret it. Partner with me. Give what you can. 2021, you're going to be on Team Wolby, on Team Torch, Team Spreading Torah, and our rich Jewish heritage throughout the world. Support the Parsha Podcast. Support the Jewish History Podcast, support Torah 101, support This Jewish Life, support the Mitzvah Podcast, support the Ethics Podcast, support all the wonderful, fantastic work of Torch. I know it's hard, but this is worth it. Push yourself and give what you can give at givetorch.org. You won't regret it. A few practical things you can donate via PayPal. If you prefer to send a check, email me and I'll make it easier for you. We started accepting Bitcoin and other crypto via Coinbase. And in fact, we've already gotten several Bitcoin donations. But you'll need to email me to set that up. We'll do it. Rabbilwajima.com. Take care of it. If I have your phone number, I plan on giving you a call this week to solicit your support for this campaign. So be on the lookout for that. You could choose which podcast to support which Torch teams to support. There's all kinds of cool sponsorship opportunities. You could support the Torch podcast microphone and studio. You could dedicate your favorite Torch podcast. You could sponsor an episode. Every donation of $360 or more will receive a signed copy of my upcoming book upon a 10-string tarp, which is set to be released in the coming months. All that on givetorch.org. The link is in the description. Thank you for another amazing year of Torch Podcasts. I am eternally grateful to you for your support and your friendship throughout the years. Thank you for listening. Please, God, the campaign will be a smashing success. And Torch will have another fabulous year. And then about a year from now, next March, we're going to have another tough business meeting, another annual appeal. And that's the only appeal you're going to hear from me for the next year. So thank you for listening. And now... Enjoy the podcast. 
We are up to chapter 5, Mishnah number 1. It's such a joy to get to the 5th chapter of Pirkei of Chapters of Our Fathers. I'm going to read the Mishnah, and we're going to discuss it. It's a very interesting Mishnah. Be'asara ma'amaros nivraha olam. With 10 utterances was the world created. What's the lesson behind this? Is it not that with one utterance it could have been created? To exact punishment from the wicked. Who are destroying the world that was created with ten utterances. And to give good reward upon the righteous who sustain the world that was created with ten utterances. So this is going to be a pattern that we're going to see throughout the fifth chapter of Perke Avos. Unlike the preceding four chapters, the majority of the teachings of this chapter are going to be unattributed. We're not going to say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so taught such-and-such. And it's going to be dealing with a lot of bigger picture ideas. It's going to be a very different style and probably a little bit more interesting as well. So this Mishnah tells us that the world was created with 10 utterances and not one. And the reason for this is so that way the wicked who destroy the world are going to be punished because they destroyed a world that has 10 utterances and the righteous are going to be rewarded because they are upholding a world that was created with 10 utterances. So what does this mean? So just the very basic is that if you count in Genesis, how many times does it say, and God said, let there be light, let there be water, let there be animals, let there be a human, let us make man. If you count how many times it says that God made an utterance, God said something, it's 10. And therefore, this world was created with 10 utterances. Now, if you actually count them, it turns out that there's only nine times in the Genesis narrative where it says that God said, let there be such and such. Yet the Mishnah tells us that the world's created with ten utterances. So the Talmud answers that you're right. The world's created with nine times it says, Vayomer, Hashem said such and such, God said such and such. But the tenth Utterance was the very first word of the Torah, Bereshus, in the beginning. In the beginning, it's considered like it is its own utterance. And therefore, if you tally up the nine times it says, and God said, plus Bereshus in the beginning, you have a total of ten utterances, and that is how the world is created. Now, the obvious question is, why? Why do we have nine utterances of one ilk, and the tenth utterance of Bereshis of in the beginning, a different kind of utterance. So this already brings us to some of the deep ideas that we're going to talk about in this Mishnah. The first creation is different than the ensuing creations. The first creation, the first creation of Bereshis in the beginning is different than the ensuing nine times it says, and God said, and he created. Why? 
Because when God created the first creation, what was the status of existence at the time when God made the first utterance? It was the domain of the infinite. Before the Almighty created something finite, before he created time and space and matter and energy, before we were called today the Big Bang, but of course the one that was orchestrated by God, before the initial creation of anything finite, you had just the world of infinite. And that world is something which is totally beyond us. And that world is very different then the ensuing creation, let there be light. Once there is already existence of the finite variety, that is a different world that we can associate with versus the world that we cannot associate with, the world of the infinite. And therefore, it's important to distinguish the two as being different. And more specifically, the nature of the first creation versus the rest of the ten creations are also different. The first creation is something out of nothing, what's called ex nihilo. There is no existence, there's no finite matter, there's no finite energy, there's no time, there's no space. It's just infinity. And then there's a creation, ex nihilo, something out of nothing. And what is the nature of the ensuing nine utterances, the ensuing nine creations? That is the Almighty taking what exists already, and repurposing it, and reformatting it, and changing it into other things. In the beginning of the Torah, the Ramban, in his commentary, he talks about the concept, and he gives it the Greek term, hiuli, which is this matter and energy that can be reshaped, and resized, and reformatted into other things. Day one of creation. Creation number one is voracious, is in the beginning. Is this creation something out of nothing, matter where there was none, energy where there was none, time where there was none, space where there was none. That is voracious, one kind of creation. Everything else, Vayomer, God said and God said, and those are comparable. All the Vayomers are comparable because it's the Almighty taking what he already created and reshaping it. Whereas Boratius is incomparable to any other creation, and therefore it has a different name. It's not Vayomer, and God said it is Boratius, this new creation, something out of nothing. So Amritsa tells us that the creation happened with ten utterances. But it could have happened with only one. And the question of our mission is, well, why did the Almighty create the world the way he did? If you think about it, it's kind of a strange question. What are we proposing here? God should have created the world in a different way? What exactly is the alternative? So the Rambam, he says that it could have been created as follows. And God said, let there be light, let there be men, let there be this, let there be that. It could have bunched all the, and God says, into one statement. And the fact that these utterances were separated out as distinct creations, that is something that the Mishnah wants to ponder. Why? 
That's what the Rambam says. There's a very important Maharal over here. And he tells us that the number 10 is a very significant number. And if you look at the Torah, you see that the term 10 appears very frequently. Abraham, of course, given 10 tests. The Jewish people in Egypt witnessed the 10 plagues, the 10 miracles. We have the 10 commandments. The Mishnah tells us that the Almighty interfaces with this world with 10 sefirot in 10 different spheres. Whatever that means, it's a Kabbalistic idea. If you look at the ensuing Mishnayos in our chapter, every Mishnah starts off with a number 10. There were 10 generations from Adam to Noah. There were 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. There were 10 tests that Abraham was tested. There were 10 miracles in Egypt, etc., etc. There is significance here to the number 10. And the Maharal explains that the number 10 connotes distinction and superiority and completion and importance. Wherever there is the number 10, there is the indication of God's creation. Moreover, there is the opportunity for God to dwell there. And he quotes a Mishnah we had earlier. The Mishnah talks about 10 people sitting inside the Torah, and that creates a domicile, a residence for God. So what he explains is that there's something very deep going on over here. It's not just that the Almighty did a preponderance of utterances. And the question is, why did he do so many? He could have done fewer. That's not the question of our Mishnah. The question of our Mishnah is, why did the Almighty create the world with ten utterances? I.e., why did he make this world important? He could have made it less important. From the fact that the Almighty used ten utterances to create the world, that shows that the world really, really, really matters. And what does that mean? What are the takeaways, what are the consequences of the world really being important? He also points out that the Talmud tells us that this world was created with the letter He, the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the next world, the spiritual world, is created with the, with the letter Yud, the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And of course, Yud corresponds to 10. So the next world is really, really important because it's created with the letter Yud, which is letter 10. But then he tells us that the letter He, the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the way you make it is you make a Dalid, and then inside the Dalid you put another Yud. And that's to indicate that this world is really indistinguishable from the next world. The next world is entirely holy. This world is also entirely holy. But it also has the Dalit, so to speak, that symbolizes the expansiveness of physicality. And that's the tension of this world. This world's covered with letter hey. Because on one end it has the Dalit, which is the draw 
towards materialism and physicality. And inside that, you have embedded in the Dalit, you have letter Yud, which is to symbolize total holiness, total perfection, total purity, a total replica of the world to come. And the challenge and the tension of this world is that we are drawn both to its physicality and to the physical material allure of the world. And embedded in it, we also have the opportunity to make this world a complete replica of the next world. So our Mishnah is talking about the world being created with ten utterances. That's not just the count, how many times the Almighty said something to create the world. But the ten utterances indicate and signify the importance of this world. And the question is why? The world could have been created and mattered less. But that's not what the Almighty wanted. And the reason we're told here is that this world is important and the consequences of that importance are the fact that we have a say in the trajectory of this world. We determine if, if this world is going to be upheld or it's going to be destroyed. This world is a partnership. They might have created it with 10 utterances, but the choice of whether or not we continue this world, we uphold this world, we strengthen and nourish this world, or we allow it to wither and die, or we allow it to go by the wayside, or we allow it to be destroyed, that part of creation, well, that's in our hands. And therefore, they might have created a very important and valuable and significant world, and then he gave it off to our fallible hands to decide what to do with it. And if we're righteous that we're going to have great reward because we're perpetuating and we're maintaining and we're sustaining and nourishing a very valuable world. And God forbid if we choose to become wicked and to ignore the, so to speak, ten, the power, the yud of this world, well then we are going to be responsible for destroying this world. The way I like to think of this is everyone has a job. But some people's job, but just more important than other people's job. If you're Neil Armstrong and you're trying to land the moon rover, well, that's really important. Because if you fail, people are going to die. The mission's going to fail. It's going to be a disaster. If you are a physician and there's life and death in your hands, it's really important. You know, if you're a paper pusher, maybe your job is less important. What if you're the uh, serviceman who's in charge of the nuclear football? How important is your job? The entire world is almost in your hands. That's what this mission is telling us. We were given the nuclear football. We could have been given some other responsibility, some other mission that's not so important. They might have said the world's not so important. I'm not creating. We're creating with one utterance. Make it less important. Make it less serious. But no, he created with ten utterances. He created with this abundance of holiness and and value and importance. And then he said, "It's your job to maintain it." It could have been moderately important, but no, it's exceedingly, inordinately important. 
and it's in our hands. Are we going to uphold the world? Are we going to maintain the world? Are we going to sustain the world? Are we going to destroy it? We are bearers of the nuclear football. The Talmud of the Book of Kedushin on page 40a, going into 40b, tells us that a person should always view themselves as if they are half-righteous and half-wicked. Half of your deeds are mitzvos and half of them are sins. You're exactly 50-50. Moreover, the entire world is exactly 50-50. Half of the cumulative deeds of all of humanity are righteous and half of the cumulative deeds of all of humanity are wicked. And the next decision you make is going to determine not only your destiny, but the destiny of all of mankind and thus all of existence, all of finite existence, because all of finite existence is only because of man. And your decision right now is going to determine the direction that the world goes. Same idea. You're holding the nuclear football. The entire world, all of humanity, hinges upon your decision. That is the lesson of this Mishnah. Everything we do matters supremely. The Talmud tells us, if you look at the Genesis narrative, yom hashishi, the sixth day. The Talmud points out that it adds an extra letter. It could have said yom shishi, the sixth day. It says the sixth day. It explains the Talmud that the sixth day of creation is the last day where the Almighty is creating something. But there's another sixth day to come. And that is the sixth day of the month of Sivan, the day of the giving the Torah at Sinai. It explains the Talmud, the Almighty made a condition in creation. The Almighty creates the world on condition, provided that we accept the Torah. The world was not complete until Sinai. You have the Genesis creation, and then you have the completion of that creation at Sinai. And the Almighty made the condition. If the Jewish people accept the Torah, if they take the tools to maintain and perpetuate this world, to perfect this world, to uphold this world, to nurture, to sustain this world, then the world will endure. You fulfilled your part of the deal. I'll keep my part. But in the event the Jewish people reject Torah, if we reject the tools to uphold and maintain the world, then you have not fulfilled your condition and therefore I'm not creating the world. And therefore I'm going to retroactively destroy the world. And that's the idea of this Mishnah. The Almighty created the world, but it's not complete. We are the partners. Our choices determine whether the world is going to endure or it's going to be destroyed. And this matters a lot. This is the nuclear football. We're in charge. And our choices are going to reverberate for all of eternity. And if we are righteous, think about what that means. The most important job ever given to any person is given to me, is given to you, is given to every person you know. And we have a say to determine what happens. And the Bible gives us the tools to do what we need to do. 
And what if we fail? If we fail, then we are reneging upon our side of the deal. And the money says, okay, you don't want to keep up this world? We'll destroy it. And the morale points out that suppose you have a hundred righteous people and there's one wicked person. Well, then the hundred righteous people will override the one wicked person and the world will not be destroyed. And therefore, how can you tell the wicked person, hey, if you don't uphold the world, you're going to destroy the world? Well, don't we see the world not being destroyed? And therefore, he says like this. He says, every person is judged as an individual. If you were the only person in the world, how would the world look like? If everyone was like you, what would the world be? If you're a good person, if you're a moral person, if you're a righteous person, if you're even a pious person, and everyone in the world is like that, well, there's no more war, there's no more crime. It's just a beautiful world. And therefore, you are going to be judged as a total individual and everyone else is going to be abstracted from that calculation. And in the eyes of God, the world was upheld because of you. Conversely, if you're a wicked person, you are also judged as an individual and in the event that your behavior is one that warrants the world to be destroyed, it's considered as if the world was destroyed due to you. And that is a very unfortunate designation. So that's this Mishnah. It's a beautiful idea that really hammers home the message that we matter. Our choices matter. They might create the world, but it's, it's on condition. It's conditional to us accepting our part of this bargain, and that is that we are going to do whatever we can to maintain, perpetuate, and uphold this world. We are going to do our job, and this is a very important job. This is a job that everything hinges upon, and this world really does matter. It's not one that the Almighty says, ah, you know what, we'll start off again. It's not so important. The Almighty instantly could create a brand new universe. No problem. But no, he cares about this world. He said, I'm going to spend and dedicate 10 utterances to create this world. I'm going to record it. Great importance. This world matters to me. And humanity, you have the keys in your hand to determine which way the world goes. What power? And of course, what responsibility for us to make sure that we are doing whatever it is that we can to maintain and perpetuate and uphold the world and be the people that can say, we deserve reward for upholding the world that was created with 10 utterances. I thank you all for listening. My email address is rabbiwalbajima.com. I look forward to your questions, your comments, and your feedback.